What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode number 33 of the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Hey, whose episode is this? You didn't say? Tarvarius Moore. It's the Tarvarius Moore edition. You're going to Tarvarius Moore, huh? Do you have a better idea? Uh, one name that just popped in my head, but I can't remember 100% that he wore this number is Tony Parrish. He did. Ha! Wow, that is a good pull by you. Uh, I actually like Tony Parrish. He was a good player for a while there. Yeah, he led the league in interceptions with us. But I'm going to stick with Tarverius Moore because that's what I said and it was my (laughs) idea. (laughs) Want to remind you, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. It really does help us with exposure and things like that. If you have compliments, criticisms, whatever it is, we want to hear them. So please keep them coming. There is a ton to get to, Levin, which is weird because I thought things were going to kind of die down after a very active week for the 49ers. But there are still some things swirling. There is an article on ESPN.com right now about Sean McVay and Jared Goff and the Rams and how that situation completely deteriorated. And the 49ers actually play a big part in why. So we're going to get to that. You and I were arguing on Twitter today about Jimmy Garoppolo and if they are going to move on from him, when they should do it. That what? argument. People were arguing about Jimmy Garoppolo on Twitter? I know. It's hard to believe. Um, but, you know, just for a change, we decided to argue about Jimmy G on Twitter. <laughs> um, Richard Sherman still doesn't have a home in free agency. Could he possibly be... Seemingly one of the millions of people that have come back to the 49ers this offseason. And if there was ever any doubt about who is in control of the 49ers ship, we got the perfect example of it last week with the Trent Williams signing. We will explain as we go. Let's start as we usually do with the quarterback stuff. Um, we'll get into the Jimmy G trade stuff later, but I saw this article that came out tonight on ESPN.com about Sean McVay and Jared Goff and how things really just fell apart for them. Their relationship eroded over basically two years. It was not a very long amount of time. And I just, as I read it, I kept saying, that's just like Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just like the 49ers. That That's exactly what it looks like. Every time I'm reading this, it was like looking into a 49ers mirror. And I think there are a lot of takeaways from this article. But what was your first reaction after you read it? <laughs> well, I actually saw the headline and quickly skimmed the article and then tweeted out, boy, this sounds familiar. And then literally within about five minutes, you texted me saying, did you see this? Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> we should talk <laughs> about seen, it. <laughs> I had not seen your tweet, I swear to God. But, I mean, yeah, the the um, title of the article is Why the Sean McVay-Jared Goff Partnership Fell Apart for the Los Angeles Rams. And basically, here's the too-long-didn't-read version. Goff started to play like crap. McVay was incredibly frustrated by it and felt like he had to call the perfect play for Jared Goff. And he just got so frustrated, he started just cursing him out on the sidelines. And Goff felt very micromanaged, and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where McVay, according to this article, was happy to start Wofford in the playoff game, like, or in the game, rather. He was happy to start Wofford because he was just so sick of Jared Goff. Yeah, I, 
I don't know. I think I think that relationship is probably a little bit worse than what Kyle and Jimmy was or is. That's just a guess. Nobody truly knows. But I feel like there's a little bit more respect there. I feel like Jimmy's leadership is probably really the difference. That's just me speculating. But Goff doesn't come off as a very good leader, in my opinion, whereas Jimmy does. And I think Kyle recognizes that. And that might be one of the reasons why the Niners haven't moved on from Jimmy as of yet. But I do want to make a couple points about this. And I think it shows the difference between the two teams. And this isn't the first example. This is just probably now the best example, the regime in LA will pull the trigger. They're not scared to roll the dice. They're not scared that if the player that they're getting, they think is truly a really good player, they will spend what it takes to get. And we've seen that, you know, they've added guys like Ramsey. Now they have Matt Stafford. And the point I'm going to make is that the Niners don't do that. They constantly look for the bargains, the guys that, well, if he stays healthy or something along those lines, then he'll be great and we're getting him at a discount, like D Ford, for instance. But this is what I'm going to say about the quarterback position. The Rams pulled the trigger on moving golf and eating a ton of dead cap space. The Niners can pull the trigger on Jimmy Garoppolo and not eat a ton of dead cap space. And you might be sitting there and going, yeah, but Jimmy's better. He may be, but here's some stats. You want to cite Jimmy Garoppolo's winning? He's 22 and 8 as a starter with the Niners. Goff was 42 and 20 in the last four years, which is under McVay, as a starter. The win percentage, he's won more than two thirds of his games. Garoppolo's only won a few percentage points better. So their win and loss is pretty similar. They've both been to a Super Bowl. Neither one of them won it, but they've both been to a Super Bowl. Here is Goff's average season. 25 and a half touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo's best season with the Niners is 27 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. So Goff has actually averaged the last four years a very similar season to Jimmy Garoppolo's best. And yet the Rams pulled the trigger and ate a ton of dead cap space. I think that is the biggest difference between the two teams. And time will tell, but it might be one of the reasons that the Niners never get over the hump. You are a thousand percent right. I literally, you like, you stole that out of my notes. <laughs> I had it written down. That's the thing that I don't understand, right? Goff is 42 wins with McVay, as you pointed out. That is tied for the second most of anybody in the NFL with, with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. They're only second to the Patriots. Yeah, it's so 10 and a half a season. If you're going to cite Jimmy Garoppolo's win-loss record as the reason that they can't get rid of him, the Rams just got rid of somebody better that has more winning seasons that has been better statistically, basically, than Jimmy Garoppolo. And as you pointed out, they're eating $22.2 million in cap room to do it, which at the time they made the deal was the most single season dead cap room in the history of the NFL. Now, it has since been passed because <laughs> the Eagles are eating like $33 million to get rid of Carson Wentz. But the point remains. The Rams were willing to sacrifice all of this because they have determined that he's not the guy. And by the way, Levin, I don't remember anybody crushing the Rams for getting rid of Jared Goff. Nobody's batting an eye. Nobody really thinks Jared Goff is that good. Yet when you talk about trading Jimmy Garoppolo 
49er fans get the torches and the pitchforks out and come for you in the dead of night. I don't get it. It's actually kind of funny because the biggest reaction to that trade, in my opinion, and I think certainly amongst Niner fans, was how the hell did they manage to get rid of Jared Goff? How the (laughs) hell did they get somebody to take that contract? And not only did the Lions take that contract, but they're dumb enough to think Jared Goff is our future. Like, how? Like, how, how can they do that? Jared Goff, look, I think they're pretty similar quarterbacks, but I don't think there's really any argument to say Goff is better. Now, if you want to factor in injuries, then there's an argument there. But I'm just talking about pure talent-wise, I would say Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit better than Goff. And yet, you get these diehards. You know, it makes me wonder, because I'm not tied into the L.A. Rams fan base. You got to wonder if there were the golf stands that there are like the Jimmy stands. I don't think there was. I don't think so. And I I could just tell you from a national perspective, there was nobody saying that the Rams are crazy for getting rid of Jared Goff. Uh, The one thing that the article kind of I don't think gives enough credit to, but they do talk about how the Rams situation deteriorated on the offensive line. And of course, Todd Gurley got hurt and the offense basically eroded around him a little bit. The 49ers have not let that happen with Jimmy Garoppolo. The weapons that Garoppolo has are fantastic. They added with Brandon Ayuk last year. They added with a better offensive lineman in Trent Williams last year. Like they are not letting the situation deteriorate. So maybe that's why they feel better about it. But I just read this article and, you know, it talked about how McVeigh crushed Goff's confidence and that Goff and McVeigh, quote, wouldn't sit down often enough to hammer stuff out. I don't know if Kyle and Jimmy have that kind of relationship. Everybody talks about how they love the honesty from Kyle Shanahan and the transparency. Basically, he tells you flat out how he feels about you. But are is he sitting down with Jimmy Garoppolo every week and hammering stuff out? I don't know. And is Jimmy the type of guy to go to Kyle and say, hey, I got a problem with X, Y, and Z. Let's figure it out. Yeah, nobody truly knows that except for the people that have been in that locker room. And even some of them probably don't fully know what the relationship is. But... I got I got to throw it out there. I wonder how much of the difference in perception and the difference in how much loyalty there is to these two quarterbacks is subconsciously because Jimmy looks the part. He is the all-American guy. He looks the part, he talks the part, you know. So if he walks and talks like a franchise quarterback, you really got to wonder if that is where a lot of the support comes from. I'm not saying people are sitting out there going, well, he's good looking, so I'm going to support him. But I do think that there is something to be said for subconsciously going, this guy looks the part and truly wanting him to be what he looks and talks like. Because he does talk like a franchise quarterback. I mean, that's the leadership part of it. Well, Goff is the blonde haired California kid, right? You would Spoiled think baby kind of- kid. No, he looks like a spoiled brat. <laughs> that, I will that is say, the persona that he has come off as well and i've heard this um since you're bringing up looks i've heard with mac jones chris sims has talked about this he thinks that part of the reason people aren't as high on mac jones as they should be is because he looks like kind of a doofus and he looks kind of like not good in his uniform and like i'm sorry 
I do not care about that at all. Tom Brady looked like he couldn't do anything at the combine. He looked like he didn't belong on a football field. Peyton Manning is one of the weirdest looking dudes of all time. Like he looks like an evil supervillain. He's got a giant forehead. Like who cares what they look like? But I agree. That's definitely part of it. Subconsciously, I think it does factor in. If you were building a quarterback, you would build one that looks like Jimmy Garoppolo more than you would Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or wherever you want to go. You know, I'll say this about Mac Jones looks and quarterbacks in general. I don't care what their face looks like. The only thing I care about when it comes to looks of a quarterback is, are they in shape? And that is a small concern I have of Mac Jones. Every time I see him where you can actually see the body because he's not wearing shoulder pads, he has a dad bod. And that makes me wonder. <laughs> now, yeah, you can say Tom Brady wasn't truly in shape, but he became probably the biggest fitness freak that's ever existed at the quarterback position. It it just makes me wonder. If a guy is not dedicated to staying in shape, it makes me wonder what his dedication level is elsewhere. And when you're looking at the draft, you got to nitpick. Now, some quarterbacks can get away with that. Big Ben could get away with being a fat slob playing quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> like, he could. And he pretty much admits it now. Like, he literally said that when he injured his arm and had to sit out that year, it's the first time he ever actually got into working out. Like, and that he's worked out more in the last year than he thinks he has over the rest of his career. Like, there, there is something to be said about that. And Big Ben's like six foot six and just a freak of a human being. Mac Jones isn't that. So that is a small concern I have of his. Can I just point out, as was pointed out yesterday on the Shanna plan, Mac Jones ran a 4.740 yard dash. Jimmy Garoppolo ran a 4.940 yard dash. So even out of shape, Mac Jones is faster than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, but I'm, uh, what I'm getting into with the out of shape part of it, and I don't think he's terribly out of shape. It just, you can see that he's not truly dedicated to being in shape. But it, it ties into what I've said, what I think two shows in a row now, this will be the third, that the number one factor to me in a quarterback being good or bad is preparation. And if you're not being fully prepped body-wise, then it makes me worry that you're not going to prep for the game either. We're going to get into more about rookie quarterbacks and Jimmy Garoppolo, but just to close the the door on this Rams thing before we move on, I just hope that Kyle Shanahan reads this article because I feel like there's you have to learn something from this situation. It's in your division. I'm sure he's heard McVay's frustration with Goff because Shanahan and McVay are friends. So I'm sure they've talked about their quarterback struggles on both sides, but there's got to be something that Kyle can take away from this. Either it's, hey, you can't always bash your quarterback because I do have heard that Kyle's hard on quarterbacks behind the scenes or maybe it's you got to hold your guy accountable more to the other players because that came up in the article about how some Rams players said that that McVay kind of swept Goff's issues under the rug or and maybe this is the biggest one. I know it's one that you'd agree with. Once you know he ain't the guy, cut bait and move on. Do not be afraid to take the big swing, whatever it is. Kyle has to learn something from this article, and I hope that he does. It makes me question one thing. How much does McVeigh get to make decisions personnel-wise? Because he had what Goff for, I want to say, two seasons, 
And then they gave him that crazy contract. This wasn't a Jimmy situation where they had him for five games. They weren't 100% sure. But based on the way he played and the way the team did, you had to give him the contract he got. This was they had plenty of time to evaluate. And they still pulled the trigger on giving him a crazy deal that, unlike Jimmy's, multiple years down the road, they had to eat a record-setting, as you said, dead cap hit. Like, was that all Sneed? Did McVay sign off on that contract? Like, it, it raises that question. Uh, in the article, it said that McVay signed off on the deal. And everything I've read before this said that McVay signed off on the deal. Um, I think that McVay, it's his team. Les Snead, I think, really, like, was kind of on thin ice for a little bit there. Um, and I think that if if push came to shove and somebody was getting fired in L.A., Snead, to me, gets fired before Sean McVay. I would say that in every single situation in NFL history, I will choose a great coach over a great GM. Because great, there's plenty of people that have been or would have looked like great GMs but didn't get the right coaches and ended up being fired and looked at as a bad person. And then the next guy through the door, the next coach through the door inherited a winning team because the GM built that team. The Niners know this all too well. Let's just say what it was. Balky <laughs> inherited a winner. Since we're kind of in this vein, I know we're going out of order on our rundown, but it sort of fits in. In case you're wondering who runs the show in San Francisco, we got the perfect example because, you know, maybe it's up in the air in L.A. as to whose team it is. You know, I'm just guessing when I say it's McVay. I don't have to guess in San Francisco. It's Kyle Shanahan. And we know this because Trent Williams told us this. Listen <laughs> to Trent Williams explain in his press conference how it came down to the Niners and the Chiefs in his free agency decision and what he did to stay in San Francisco. I always told Kyle, you know, since day one that if I was going to go anywhere, I would call him first and let him know what it, what the matter was. So once I got the hunch that, you know, KC seemed like they was ready to make it official, I called Kyle, like, uh, you know, no, no, no. I text him. I said, Hey Kyle, I'm ready to go ahead and make my decision. You know, it's getting late. You know, I'm about to have dinner. When I, once I finish dinner, you know, I'm ready to go. I went back in, ate dinner. And by the time I literally got my keys from valet, sat in the car and my my agent was calling me, telling me the deal was done. So it didn't take more than about an hour or so. So if you're wondering, Levin, who runs it, Trent just told you. When it was nutcracking time, he didn't call Prague. He didn't call John Lynch. He didn't call Jed York. He called Kyle Shanahan and basically told him, now's the time. And what happened? An hour later, he had a contract because Kyle said, called Prague or Lynch or whoever and said, get my guy. Do not let this guy leave. There's no question. Kyle makes the final choice. He has the ultimate power if there were to be a power struggle. I do wonder how much of it was they negotiated with Trent during the window that they were the only team that could negotiate. And they said, you know what? You're not happy with her offer. We think we're happy with it. Go out there, find what you can find. If you get a better offer, Call us, we'll likely match. Because the fact that it came together in one hour and there is some very complicated parts to his deal, like, you know, the first year cap hit is super low. There, There's some other shenanigans in there to help the team. Makes me wonder if they didn't have an overall outline of, okay, if he finds bigger, 
this is what it's going to be. And we'll just match whatever the numbers are. Because to put it together, contracts are incredibly complicated. To put it together in an hour makes me think that they were all on the same page, Lynch, Prague, and Kyle. And it just took calling Kyle and Kyle making the final choice of, okay, that number's not too high. Go for it. Because I don't think they could have gotten that that contract done in an hour if the other two, or especially Parag, the guy that creates the contracts, was not already having a pretty good idea of what it would be. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't starting. For, it's not like the, they went from no negotiations to a contract in an hour. Like, clearly, they had been talking. And like you've pointed out, like, that you just look at the other left tackle contracts in the league and you already sort of have a ballpark setup. I love the structure of the deal, by the way, how it's basically two separate three-year contracts. But I just thought it was interesting that Trent just called up Kyle and said, this is the deal. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, waves the magic wand and suddenly it gets done. Like John Lynch got executive of the year. Forget that. <laughs> like Kyle Shanahan gets executive of the year. I don't know what John Lynch does, but I know he ain't doing much because it's Kyle's show. Like I said, I, I think John Lynch is just a somebody willing to swallow his pride and somebody that's extremely well connected in the league that's well respected. So teams will take his call. Like that's what he is. He's not a making the decision type of guy. But I just make that point because while it does 100% confirm Kyle makes the final decisions, he has final say. I don't think it was a case of the front office decided this was the most they would pay Trent Williams. Trent Williams found more and Kyle came in and said, screw whatever you guys think, we're signing him to this deal. You know what I mean? I think it, was a, it wasn't so much Kyle overruling them as this was their plan. Mm, I don't know about that. I think that Kyle might have a direct line to Jed. Obviously, Jed can overrule everybody. He's the owner. That's Every owner can do that. But I think that basically, like, Kyle knows that Jed's going to be on board with whatever he wants to do. And I think Kyle throws his weight around when he wants to. I don't think he has to throw it around. Everybody knows he has it. You know what I mean? I, I just don't see this as... I guess an animosity building type of thing where he overruled Lynch and Prague and Peters in the front office, you know, where he basically said, I don't care what your numbers say. We're doing this. You know what I mean? I, I, I just don't see it as that. But he could. But he could. Yeah. I don't think there's any question of that. We, I mean, there all... was a reason Joe Williams was on the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a different situation than, say, our show where Kyle is the talent and he has final say, you have the final say, but I'm the talent. So it's a little mm -hmm. bit different. But yeah, I, I think Kyle is the ultimate everything with the Niners. And that's been rumored. And in times like this, you get a glimpse of it. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we, you and I were arguing about something on Twitter today that went longer than I thought it was going to. Uh, and of course, it's about the quarterback. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll get into the possibility of Richard Sherman returning to the 49ers and uh, another 49ers quarterback rumor that, for a change, I don't hate. Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, let's get back into it. Let's reignite the argument that we had on Twitter earlier today. You seem to be of the opinion that if the 49ers take a quarterback in the first round, they don't necessarily have to jettison Jimmy Garoppolo right away. I happen to be of the opinion that 
You draft a rookie in the first round. It's his show. Get rid of Jimmy. Kick him out. Get the draft pick. Use the draft pick. Why am I wrong? (laughs) It can be beneficial. I think when you can afford to do it and you have a good enough starter, which that is a pretty rare thing. Having a good starter or average starter, somebody capable of winning you games level of starter and still taking one in the first round. That is a rare thing. And I think it is beneficial to not immediately cut bait on that starter who can win you games. Because if your rookie needs time, and we all know Kyle's system is complicated, he can buy you time and you could make the switch later when the timing is right. That might mean training camp, like a Russell Wilson situation. After they went out and gave, you know, a big contract to, I'm drawing a... Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn, yeah. They gave a big contract to Matt Flynn and he never even got a start. (laughs) (laughs) Because Russell Wilson was the real deal right out of the gate. Not all great quarterbacks are that way. They might find one. They might find a guy that needs half a season. So you let Jimmy start and you move him prior to the deadline. They might find a guy that isn't it and isn't showing it in practice. And that means that they still get a chance to contend with Jimmy as the starter all year because you don't want to throw away a chance to contend. And the Niners are a contending team, even with Jimmy as the starter. You just don't want to count on Jimmy as the starter because he can't stay healthy. Right. So this is my thing, though. Like, let's say that's your plan. And that sounds awesome. Guess what? It's week two and Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt again. And now the rookie has to come in anyway. And you don't have the benefit of using whatever return you would get if you traded Jimmy Garoppolo away. There are risks. There's risks to everything. There's also the chance that Jimmy plays well and you make the switch anyways. And you're able to trade Jimmy for even more. Or... Jimmy is so good, you let him start all year and you trade him for a first round pick in the offseason. Like, there are possibilities here. I think it's more likely that what ends up happening is you draft the rookie, Jimmy starts a handful of games, you trade him near the deadline for, you still get a draft pick, but you get maybe a round less. I think that's worth it. I just, to me, I don't like the situation, right? Let's say, okay, so you draft a quarterback, Jimmy's going to be your starter. What if Jimmy stays healthy, but he's just not very good? Then you've got, oh, are we going to, you've got a quarterback controversy. Are you going to bench Jimmy? Are you going to bring in the rookie? What if he's not very good, but they're still winning? Do you make the change then? It's just a dicey situation. I feel like it adds a layer of complexity that you don't need if you're the 49ers. Just go out. If it's going to be the rookie, let it be the rookie. If it's going to be Jimmy, let it be Jimmy. But this this one foot in each bucket thing I don't like. Why risk wasting the chance to contend if the rookie ain't it when you don't have to? The Niners still have $20 million in cap space. They can afford to keep Jimmy. And, yes, there's a benefit to trading them because you can roll over cap space. But the cap is probably going to skyrocket in, season, uh, in the seasons to come because of the new TV deals. And on top of that, even if you trade him mid-season or at some point during the season, you save whatever the prorated amount is. So you still get to roll over a good bit of money, even if you trade him mid-season. I just don't see the reason to take a risk when you don't have to. Why risk putting all your eggs in one basket when you can go to the table with two baskets? Because one basket's got a hole in the bottom. That's why. It's like one and a half baskets. That's the reason why. So more than one. I just, I don't, I don't like that half in how trying to be a little bit pregnant kind of a thing like that. That doesn't do it for me. 
And I'm sorry, like, if you you keep Jimmy because you say, well, what if the quarterback is not any good? Like, that's why Shanahan gets paid. And that's why Lynch gets paid, right? You're not drafting a guy to suck. You're drafting him because you think he's going to be good. So I don't want to hear the explanation. Well, you got to keep Jimmy around in case this guy that we pick, that we get paid to pick, is not any good. It just gives you a chance. Some guys that end up being Hall of Fame quarterbacks benefit from sitting. Do you think Tom Brady would have been good if he was thrown in right off the bat from being drafted? No. Yes. No. <laughs> Why not? I don't not? think so. I don't think he would have been ready. I think that that is totally overblown. We only say that when the guy happens to sit and plays well. What if you sit for a while and then you come in and you suck? Nobody says anything. Like we just forget about those guys. It we only remember sucked, the... and that's why you didn't play. That is possible. Like, do you think Patrick Mahomes would have sucked if he got in right away and didn't sit behind Alex Smith? Because I really don't. I don't think he would have sucked. But do you think he would have been able to come in and win the MVP? No, he benefited, and he said he benefited from sitting. Like, and that is the prime example, the recent example. Obviously, but the chief. Obviously, the Chiefs, so they had Alex Smith. Alex Smith was winning 10-plus games every single year as the starter, but they didn't think he was quite good enough to get them over the hump. So they decided to go for a quarterback in the first round, and they let him sit while they continued to win. They nearly won the Super Bowl. not nearly won. They nearly made the Super Bowl in those playoffs. They had a chance. Now, obviously, there's also the Justin Herbert. There's the argument that rookie quarterbacks are succeeding faster and better than ever before i mean every year the rookie records get broke almost you know it's well i guess every couple of years they get broke like it's not unheard of now for a quarterback to throw for four thousand yards in his rookie season which by the way it would only take 4300 yards to set the franchise record in yards like herbert would have had one of the best seasons ever for a niners quarterback as a rookie last year and that's with the chargers not yeah with a with a Kyle. terrible head coach at the time right but i think you can trade up you can do whatever you want to get a quarterback in the first round and you wait and see what he he is like if he's ready get rid of jimmy if he's not ready or you think you'd benefit from sitting for for a couple games let him sit there's no reason to pull the trigger on a jimmy deal right after you draft somebody well, because you could also use that pick that you get from Jimmy this year. That would that would be a potential reason. Let me ask you this. On what? The Niners on roster you... is nearly complete. Well, and that was uh, the point that Kyle and Akash made yesterday. Is basically like the way the Niners have built this thing. Where else are you going to go in the first round except quarterback? Was their point. Well, which not is why only, they... Sorry, not only that, but do the Niners have 10 roster spots? Probably not. Like, this is a situation where the Niners should be trading up. Not necessarily in the first round, but in the second, third, fourth rounds. Like, use those late picks to get up and get the guy you want. Because the guys you're taking in the sixth and seventh round are not making this team. Unless you, you know, get a diamond up your ass. <laughs> no, you know what you do, Levin? You take guys coming off torn ACLs and they sit for a year. See, that's and never amount to sauce. anything. <laughs> that's the secret sauce. Well, um, you're going to have to compete with the Jaguars for that. So, oh, yeah, that's true. He's back now. <laughs> Let me ask you this Would you feel better about getting rid of Jimmy? Draft a quarterback in the first round, get rid of Jimmy, and have 
let's say, I don't know, Gardner Minshew as your backup quarterback because Jeremy Fowler of ESPN threw out Gardner Minshew as a potential option. He said the Niners are up to something and specifically mentioned Minshew as a guy that the Niners would be interested in. How do you feel about that? I'm not opposed. It all depends on compensation, obviously. You know, somebody made a good point, and I hadn't thought of this comparison, but it was a good point. Who is a better quarterback, Minshew or Darnold? Oh, Minshew. I would say Minshew probably has the better argument. Like, so if you trade a third, fourth, or something like that, a third or or a fourth, not third and fourth, a third or a fourth round pick for Minshew, would I be upset? Heck no, I'd be all for it. Like, even if he is the backup, getting a young, cost-controlled, really good quarterback for, like we've said on the show, anybody can get injured at any time is extremely worthwhile. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And then you get the whole Minshew mania. Like, who wouldn't want to have press conferences with Minshew? (laughs) He's easy to root for. Like, he just seems like a cool dude, like a guy you want to have a beer with. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of is. And here's the thing. Here's what Gardner Minshew doesn't do. He doesn't turn the ball over. And that's what's killed the 49ers without Jimmy Garoppolo is the turnovers. I saw a stat about Nick Mullins that basically – if you take his numbers and extrapolate them over a full season, he turns the ball over as much as Jameis Winston, who turns it over more than anybody. So that's what's crushed the 49ers. Minshew in two years has 37 touchdown passes and only 11 picks. So if you're telling me the 49ers can get a backup quarterback for for not very much, that's going to throw three times as many touchdowns as interceptions, I will take that. Let me put it this way. If the draft goes horribly wrong for the Niners and like say seven of the top or five of the top seven picks are quarterbacks and the Niners strike out of getting any of the quarterbacks that they would want as a starter I would be all for trading even a second round pick to get Minshew and shipping Jimmy off and starting Minshew over Jimmy I think Minshew is as good and has a chance to be better than Jimmy basically he's Jimmy who's younger and thus has the actual capability of fulfilling potential. Man, I don't know keep if I in, would be on. Keep in mind, Minshew's doing this with Jacksonville. He comes <laughs> here, he gets Kyle. He does take a lot of sacks, uh, but I think that's more just, you know, he kind of holds the ball trying to make a play. He moves around in the pocket and extends plays. Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> does not do that. But it, it, I don't know if I... the Darnold thing I was saying. He knows that unless he makes a miraculous play, he has no chance of winning this game. So he is going to risk more sacks or bad plays because he knows that if he just throws it away, they don't have another chance. I wouldn't give up a second to get him. I probably would maybe give up a third, but I wouldn't go as high as a two. But as a backup quarterback option, I like it. The two is as high as I would want to go. It's higher than I would prefer to go. But if that's what it took assuming I could get a second back for Jimmy, maybe a third, I would probably still do it. But, you know, this is under the knowledge that you could actually trade Jimmy and recoup that value. I think that I think the Patriots want him, to be honest with you. Like I do, too. You might they might not be willing to give up a ton. But if you're hell bent on trading him, you can trade him to the Patriots for sure. You want to talk Um, about quarterback controversy. If the Patriots end up actually getting Jimmy Garoppolo, I do not see Cam being quiet. I mean, he had to know, though, that that was a possibility before he signed there, right? Yes, probably. 
but I would still, if they say, oh, we're getting Jimmy and uh, he's going to start, but, you know, he, you you might have a chance, you know, because I, I don't see them willing to then move Cam unless Cam forces them to. The Patriots know Jimmy's injury history, too. But True. I don't see Cam willing to just, you know, he's trying to prove himself as a starter. I don't he, feel like he's going to sit there and be like Winston, where he's like, yeah, sure, I'll be a backup. He's he did further recently in his career. Say, yeah, he said recently he's not a backup quarterback. So that that would be interesting. Let me ask you this. Let's say that the Patriots did trade for Jimmy. Would you be rooting for him to succeed with another team? I would root for him more than I would. Like, he's not somebody I would root against. It would be... It's hard to know until the true feelings come because you're trying to project your feelings. I certainly wouldn't root against them. I am not somebody that's a Patriots hater. I don't like them, but I don't hate them. And that's probably because I grew up in Indiana. And so I ended up rooting for them against the Colts because I hated listening to all my Colts fans, friends who weren't Colt fans when they were little kids, like growing up. So I grew up about halfway between Indianapolis and Chicago. Growing up, everybody was Bears. It was all bear stuff. You know, we're just coming out of the 80s. I literally can't recall seeing a Colts hat or jersey when I was a little kid. Then suddenly, 1998, 1999, I start seeing a little bit. And then when they started winning in, I think, 2001, after the Jim Mora rant, they all of a sudden everywhere and, oh, we're the best fan base in the league. And like, used to hear that. All the time, especially in college where you're talking about, you know, 10 years into Peyton Manning. Oh, we're the best fan base in the league. We're so great. It's like you weren't. They're the Seahawks. You know, they were the Seahawks of the (laughs) early 2000s. And so I ended up rooting for the Patriots every single time they played. I wouldn't be rooting against him. Um, It would be a little it would sting a little if all of a sudden he gets to New England and he stays healthy and he starts like tearing it up because it's like, well, why the hell couldn't you do that for us? But. I don't think I would root against him. Um, he seems like a nice enough guy. I just, whatever, go do it. If you can do it, congratulations. But I just, at this point, I, I just think it's not going to be more than what it was here. So I'm just ready to move on. But I wouldn't be rooting against him. Um, how about a couple other uh, former 49ers? CJ Beathard, speaking of backup quarterbacks, he goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you uh, upset about that at all? The at all part was hinting at, I think, what you're hinting at. I don't care one way or the other at all about (laughs) C.J. Beathard. He's not important enough. Okay, who do you care about more, C.J. Beathard or Tevin Coleman, who just went to Robert Sala's New York Jets? Uh, Depends on how you want to put it. Who who do I have a little bit of good feelings about? Wouldn't mind seeing at least sticking around in the NFL for a while? C.J. Beathard. Who do I care more about? Tevin Coleman, but that's just because it's funny. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? The chance of him doing terribly and being able to go, see, he is terrible, is more attractive. <laughs> like, I at least have some interest in seeing him average like three yards of carry and go, Sala, you knew what he was. What are you doing? If I told you on March 25th that the only 49er that Robert Sala would have brought with him to New York was Tevin Coleman, would you have believed me? I would not have believed you, but I would have said, and I 100% believe this now, that if that is the case, Salah has no personnel say whatsoever and it is Joe Douglas's show. And that is, I think, 100% what's happening here. You know, we theorized, hey, they have a ton of cap space. Somebody like Quan Williams, we expected 
them to throw a little bit extra at to make sure they got him. You know, somebody has set the trend. They didn't do that. Douglas is known for being pretty hard-nosed, and it seems like he said this is where we evaluate him in the front office. We're not budging. I was fascinated, one, that Kayon Williams didn't go to the Jets, which I really thought he was going to go. I mean, he's from Jersey. But two, he didn't go to the Chiefs either. He visited with the Chiefs and left without a deal. Now he's back in San Francisco. I am absolutely stunned. I know he's, you know, in his 30s, but I, I can't believe the 49ers got him back. I mean, we had all these questions about the secondary 11, and now Verrett's back, Mosley's back, and Williams is back. That's awesome. And Dante Johnson. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Trent Baalke, a Trent Baalke pick, I believe, right? I do believe, yeah. You know, I, I wonder if uh, Williams went to KC and was like, yeah, it all sounds good. Just uh, give me a playbook. And then as soon as he got it, he was like, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> <laughs> that would be all, like use him as your spy. The 49ers send a mole to Kansas City. Hey, look, the 49ers got enough problems in the NFC to worry about without having to worry about the Chiefs. Uh, last but not least, potentially, you know, maybe somebody who could end up in New York, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Richard Sherman is still out there. He recently said he'd be open to a return to the Seahawks, which tells me nobody wants Richard Sherman. Like the way he talked about Pete Carroll, about how his stories get old and everything after he left the Seahawks, for him to now say he's open for a Seahawks return, like to me, that's him saying, hey, I'll even play for you. Don't forget about me. Fans like me. Like, nobody wants Richard Sherman. I wouldn't say it's nobody wants Richard Sherman. I just don't see anybody willing to give him other than a one-year vet minimum prove-it deal because he's been hurt and he looked like absolute garbage when he wasn't hurt. You know, I guess you could say he was still banged up. But then he also, not only did he have an injury-prone season where he didn't look good, he mailed it in and called it quits early. Like, that is abundantly clear. You know, I doubt he listens to us, but he probably doesn't like it if if he does me saying, but it's 100% true and he, he can deny it all he wants if he chose to. He quit. You saw it in the last game he played. He literally dove out of the way of making a tackle at a runner in space because he didn't want to risk injury. That said it all to me. Yeah, I, I he really fell off a cliff this year like and that was one of the things to me he was missing tackles and Richard Sherman has been an excellent tackler especially for a cornerback his entire career uh, he wasn't moving in space well he he looked way slower I mean slow for him which is pretty slow which is crazy to me because 2019 Richard Sherman was really good like I thought Richard Sherman was a terrible signing when they brought him over and for like 90% of it he has been incredible. One of the best free aging signings in team history. But that time has passed now. I was glad when he when he decided to just not be out there at the end of the year last year, because I agree with you. He wasn't playing like he normally does. And I'm glad that he is not going to be back in San Francisco this year. I would love if they hired him as a coach, as a defensive backs coach. That would be phenomenal. They're not going to do that. And so he can play somewhere else. You know, I'm old enough to remember the old show that we first met on and did together where we saw signs of this in 2019. 2019 is not as rosy as people are painting it now. Yes, he was really good, but you saw his limitations. He's, he did the same thing. He essentially played his own corner 
where, yeah, he took care of his own, but he was not able to truly match up man-to-man. He was not able, if the guy cut across the center, to follow him across the middle because he couldn't keep up. You saw these signs before, and I think, look, he was really good in 2019, but it was also some of it was teams were not going to throw his way. Teams were going to pick on the other guys. They weren't willing to go at Sherman. This year, you saw a change. Teams were willing to go at him. So, yeah, a little bit of his 2019 was smoke and mirrors. I think he was still really good, but you still saw the limitations, and we talked about it, and there were times when we criticized him over it, that he was limited, and he wouldn't follow a guy over the middle. Yeah, he was uh, limited is a good word. Like he did some things really well, but there were some things he just flat out couldn't do anymore. He got burned in the NFC title game one on one. I think it was Devontae Adams, but I could be wrong about who it was. But he got burned one on one and he got burned by Sammy Watkins in the Super Bowl. And Sammy Watkins specifically said once he saw that play in the NFC championship game, his he went to the Chiefs and said, get me in a position to be one on one on Sherman and we'll burn him. And that's exactly what happened in a big spot in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, there were definitely some limitations there for Richard Sherman. Great player for the Niners for most of his Niners tenure. I think they're basically sort of over for Richard Sherman. Yeah, I mean, I would be open for him coming back if it's truly a vet minimum deal. But that's about my level. Like, if if you're throwing more than vet minimum, I'm out. Like, a one-year vet minimum deal? Why not? I would rather draft somebody that that potentially could do more for you because I feel like he's a target out there at this point. Like if you see 25 out there, you're like, okay, whatever, switch to play. Let's get him matched up in man coverage because he can't stay with anybody. Meh. I think he could still have some value. And if it's a vet minimum deal, what's the risk? Did you see the Brian Allen game? Uh, I did. And I ranted about it for weeks. But theoretically if he's not good he shouldn't be playing and it's only a minimum deal so what's the risk well we'll see i i I, you know if i'm sherman at this point like you can get an analyst job in a second any analyst job richard sherman wants he could get you might be better off you might make more money potentially as an analyst than you might will as a player at this point you know if if it chooses to go analyst i think it is 100 percent required I don't care what the contracts are, that he has to be an analyst with Aaron Andrews as his sidelines reporter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with that. I'm sure uh, Fox would like that. I think that would just be hilarious for those two to converse in the middle of a game. But yeah, I mean, that's the only way I'd be open to him returning. But pretty much every Niners player that, the Niners and fans hoped to return has returned. Let me ask you something that I asked Michelle Majuk in her first episode last week. All, like you said, all these guys are coming back, but are the 49ers right now a better team than they were in 2020? Uh, On paper, they're the same team, (laughs) but they were the second most injured team in 20 years last year. So even with below average injuries, yeah, they're a much better team. But they're bringing back the same dudes. A lot of the same dudes that got injured. We we're just talking about Kaylon Williams. Kaylon Williams is always hurt. Jimmy Ward has been hurt a lot in his career. Jaquiski Tart has been hurt in his career. Like all these guys are coming back. So are they really going to be less injured? 
I think they've gotten a little bit better depth at other places. You know, one, Ayuk won't be a rookie. That's going to improve the receiver core, in my opinion. Uh, I think you have the fact that Ibukum has been added. Yes, I think that gives you depth at both. I think if he had to, he could play linebacker. And you would just tweak your offense and blitz the linebacker a little bit more. But it gives you depth at defensive end that they did not have last year. Well, they did, but everybody got hurt. (laughs) They lost it all. (laughs) But like, I I feel like, yeah, on paper, I get what you're saying. They're the same team. So the injury risk is the same. It's just, it it would essentially be like rolling snake eyes two times in a row. The chances are extremely slim. I'm not saying that they're a worse team. I'm just saying they did spend a ton of money. I think only the Patriots spent more money in free agency than the 49ers. And I don't know for sure that they are a better team. That does give me a little bit of pause. That's all I'm saying. I mean, is does anybody know for sure they're better regardless? I mean, yeah, I think the remember, Patriots know rem- for sure they're going to be better. Remember, well, that's because they had a whole bunch of players who opted out. I think that's a big part of why they were not a good team. But like, yeah, there was the Eagles team from a handful of years ago where they called it a dream team because they signed all these big, huge free agents and they were going to be so dominant. And then they didn't even make the playoffs. The Bucks you did know, pretty good last and year. And Namdi had to go into acting because he couldn't play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird because he was awesome with the Raiders. That was a, that was a weird situation. Yeah. You know uh, who he's married to? No. Kerry Washington. Who's Kerry Washington? Really? Yeah, no. Wow. Who's Kerry? Uh, now I have to Google this person. You know who Kerry Washington is. You just apparently don't know her by name. Kerry Washington. She would be the wife in Django Unchained. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Good movie. <laughs> Wait, what else has she done? I don't know anything. She's done oh, a lot like... of things. I think she's even, I don't know if she's won an Academy Award, but I think she's been nominated at least once for an Academy Award. Scandal, Django Unchained, Same the Last Dance. They have two kids. She's been married since 2013. All right, no, yeah. Honestly, like, I I know Django Unchained. I know her now that you say that's who she is, <laughs> but, like, I never would have put that together. I'm not very hip. I don't know if you're haven't put this together yet but breaking news i'm a 36 year old nerd if she was in a superhero movie i would know it she was from wakanda you would know her yeah i would wakanda forever baby all right that's gonna do it for this edition of the gold standard podcast you didn't ask me for final thoughts i have a great final thought jeez (sighs) come on rob okay eleven. Do you have any final thoughts for us before we go? Why, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a great final thought, and it is we established Kyle as the final say, so that means if they mess up the quarterback situation, it's 100% on him. That's fair. Has to be at this point, right? Like, Yep. We we now know the quarterback is on Kyle. And we'll know exactly what he thinks of Jimmy Garoppolo. A little over a month away, give or take. April 29th is the draft. I think we'll know by then. Is that it, Jerry Springer, or you got more final thoughts for us? <laughs> you know, if we were doing this in person, I could throw a chair at you and really make it Jerry Springer. But <laughs> <laughs> I need that big, bald security guard behind me, apparently. What was his name? Steve? Steve. Be- uh, what was it? Steve. It was like Bezos or something like that. He got his own show, I think. Yeah, he did. Steve Wilkes. Wilkes. There you go. That's taking up space in your brain, so just think about that. Well, he's a big guy. True. All right, rate, review, subscribe. 
We'll be back next week.